0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 522. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 522. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms Hello, Shameless Moms. Happy Monday. As always, I'm honored to be in your ear and I hope that you are doing well. All right, we are gonna dig into your identity and how to lean into the layers of your identity. I wanted to talk about this because this was inspired by a couple conversations I've had recently recently with some of my Tenacious Mamas. So Tenacious Mamas is my business and leadership mastermind. It's this small group of women who I get to coach around building their businesses. And it's so much fun. And it's so awesome. And I have the opportunity to see women decide to step into the role of being CEOs and to own the title of CEO. And I see women earning six figures for the first time and owning earning six figures in a year for the first time. And it's been so so cool but i've also seen on the back side of this some resistance to owning some of the titles the sense that they're not quite sure they can fully embrace these new parts of their identity and i think this is common and i think this can happen in a lot of different ways i think that it's not uncommon for us to be hesitant around some of our identities or to not know quite how to showcase them or how to own them, especially if they're new. And then we have other pieces of our identity that are maybe been with us forever that sometimes we allow to let us shrink or that sometimes we don't leverage in order to shine the best we could. So I want you to think about all the different ways that you identify. And so I'm gonna give you a list of ways that I identify and you can see if some of these resonate with you or this will also I'm sure spark some ways that you identify that might be different than me. So for me, I identify as a woman as a mom, as a wife, as someone who overcame infertility to still start a family, as someone who has managed anxiety for 37 years now, as a speaker, as a leader, as a heterosexual person, as a white person, as a Seattleite. I've lived in Seattle for 41 of my 44 years. I only left to go to college and immediately came right back. I identify as an athlete and a skier and a writer and a podcaster and a daughter and a sister. identify as a child of divorce, identify as someone who stands up in the community as a community leader. So like a leader in my profession, but also a leader in my community. I identify heavily as an entrepreneur, an 18 year entrepreneur and business owner, identify as a CEO So these are just some of my identities. I'm sure if I went and sat down for longer, I could come up with more. But this was kind of like the quick and dirty list. (laughs) And you can see just in the quick and dirty list, there's a lot of different identities in here, right? And the layers of these identities create who Sarah is, who Sarah Dean is in all the ways that she shows up in the world. And I think that with these identities, sometimes we embrace and bring certain ones to the forefront and lean more visibly and more out loud into certain identities that we hold and sometimes we shrink in certain identities. So right now I'll tell you here's some identities that I'm really leaning into right now. So being a leader, which I always lean into that. I'm really leaning into this identity around anxiety. So I was actually recently clinically diagnosed with anxiety for the first time with general anxiety disorder, which I'll be talking about more in the future. But that was really eye-opening for me. And it actually is really pushing me to lean more into this as a formal diagnosis. And like, what do I wanna do with that? I'm currently really leaning into being a speaker because I'm having more opportunities to speak in creative ways as we get further into this pandemic, which has been really, really fun. I'm currently leaning into being a skier because that's the season that we're in. It's winter. (laughs) I'm currently leaning into being a writer because I've had some really great opportunities to write recently and to share my writing in different ways, which has been really awesome. And then I'm leaning into being an entrepreneur for the 18th year and (laughs) in a global pandemic. So those are just some of the ones I'm leaning into right now that I'm like really connected to. And I'm curious for you when you look at and if you have like, take a minute and push pause and make yourself do a brain dump of all your identities that you carry. And then decide like, what are the ones you're really leaning into right now? Or what are the ones that you are either needing the most, or that are giving you the most power or that are allowing you to feel the most yourself? Because it's really important to acknowledge that it's really important to acknowledge that if you are maybe part of your One of your identities is depression, and that's really rearing its ugly head right now. And that's something that you need to acknowledge in order to manage it, in order to treat it. So sometimes leaning into our identities can be like a place for us to show up and be really shiny. And other times it can be a place for us to be more introspective and figure out how to work through certain things that might be hard, but that are a piece of us that do need to be addressed. So once you've done that, once you've looked at the different identities that you carry, and then you've looked at the ones that you're leaning into most right now in order to have a sense of power over the outcomes in your life and into having power in your day-to-day life, I want to give you three ways that you can lean into your layered identities. Because here's the thing with all of our identities that we have so many layers. If I just in a few minutes, I can list out like 10 to 20 of them, I want you to think about the impact of these layered identities when you go ahead and put, so for example, for me, if I put the layered identity of a person with anxiety plus skier together, I mean, you can imagine what I'm like on a mountain. It's not cute. You've all heard me talk about it. If I put leader and 18 year entrepreneur together, you can imagine what that looks like. That's probably someone who shows up a lot and is really pushing themselves to achieve, right? So you can see how these layered impacts of our identity really are significant over time and really impact how we show up, how we shine, how we shrink, all of the things. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, I swear it's like, So three ways that you can lean into your layered identities and you can maximize the impact and the gift of having these layered identities in a way that I think will be really impactful is what we're going to talk about today. So first way that you can lean into your layered identities is to take responsibility for the stories you hold around your identities. This is so important. We all hold stories around our identities. And so I will tell you when I tell people when I tell my moms in Tenacious Mamas that they need to own the role of being a CEO, the stories that they hold around that often hold them back. And they're like, no, I can't do that. Like, I'm not really the CEO, even though I'm running a business and doing all the jobs. I'm not really the CEO. It's I'm not that important. I'm not, my business isn't that big. That's the story they're telling themselves, right? You can see how that immediately holds them back versus I'm the CEO of my business. I'm growing this thing. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes because that's what a CEO does. So taking responsibility for the stories that you hold around your identities is going to be a really big deal. So let's just use the example of single mom as an identity. If you're a single mom, are you going to totally own that or are you going to shrink from it? If you're a single mom who owns it, I have to say, I have two women in my life who early on in meeting them told me I'm a single mom by choice. I got pregnant on my own. I mean, with the use of donor sperm, (laughs) but I got pregnant on my own and decided to have a child on my own, raise it on my own, all those things. And Both of those women, I was like, holy cow, I have so much admiration that upon meeting someone new, this is one of the first pieces of your identity that you would share because that creates so much power from that position. There's a lot of single moms and single moms, especially in the time that I was raised, where being a single mom was stigmatized in a lot of ways, and it still is stigmatized in a lot of ways. And so that was an identity that many women have shrunk from historically, shrunk from being a single mom and not really owned that is a massive position of responsibility and therefore a massive position of power and a massive position of pride. Another example would be someone who has endured and survived domestic violence. So I want to use the example of Bonnie May, who's a guest that we had on the show a couple years ago, and she was a longtime member of our Momentum Mamas community. She's still in our Every Damn Day community. She's just a phenomenal woman. So shout out, Bonnie. Hello, I love you. So Bonnie decided after leaving an abusive marriage and after some time and processing and therapy, she wanted to start talking about the domestic violence that took place in that marriage, and how she left and what other people can do to get out of domestic violence situations and what kids can do and teenagers can do with their families in an unsafe situation. She decided to own that piece of her identity. She decided to go all in on this is a huge piece of who I am. And I'm going to own it publicly. And I'm going to start speaking about it publicly. And I'm going to go into schools and talk about it publicly. Of course, many women in this position with this identity shrink from it. And like that's a very legitimate thing to do. That's extremely private. There's a huge range of feelings and emotions. And well, the feelings and emotions come from the trauma. So when you have that traumatic response, of course, there's going to be really valid reasons to shrink and keep that very private, sometimes very much related to your safety. But you also, at a certain point, in many cases, have the opportunity to own that story in a way that gives you power. How can you own that story in a way that gives you power? Another example would be someone who has overcome an eating disorder or addiction. How do you decide to write that story in a way that gives you power versus writing that story in a way that the addiction or the eating disorder has the power, right? So with all of these examples, you get to decide if you're going to own that identity that you carry, that you hold, if you're going to own it with pride, or are you going to try to hide it from people? Are you going to try to have that be the secret or this thing that you don't want other people to know about you? And sometimes there's good reason to not share. We don't need to share everything with everyone because that's not always safe. It's not always appropriate. There's people can trample on our hearts and our feelings really easily. (laughs) But at a certain point, there can be so much power in deciding to own different parts of your most vulnerable identities with pride and to own them out loud. Okay? So that's number one. Take responsibilities for the stories that you hold around your identities. Number two, call yourself your titles out loud. If you identify as a feminist, ooh, that's one I didn't put in mind, but I should have. If you identify as a feminist, call yourself a feminist. If you identify as a CEO, call yourself a CEO. If you identify, I did not identify as a business owner or an entrepreneur for like probably my first seven years of having my gym. No, I didn't have my gym, but I had a personal training business prior to opening my gym. And I did not see myself as a business owner. I saw myself as a personal trainer. There's a big difference. As soon as I started identifying as a business owner, things shifted. I took my business really seriously and I started making more money because I started looking at it from this perspective of, well, if I'm a business owner, then how am I gonna make these decisions? That's a lot different than punching the clock as a personal trainer. So decide what are the titles that you get to hold as a result of your identities and then what are you going to do with those titles to own them out loud? This can be really uncomfortable, but it can also be the key to success and the key to recognition in those identities. So if I tell people that I'm a speaker, people are going to see me as a speaker. Like people are going to see you for the thing that you say you are. But if you never tell anyone that you're a speaker, no one's ever going to hire you to speak, right? If I tell people I'm a writer, people will acknowledge that I'm a writer. So when I started the podcast and I was telling people I was a podcaster, a lot of my friends who had not ever known me as a podcaster were like, you're a what? How? But people who didn't know me from any other context were just like, oh yeah, Sarah Dean, the podcaster. Like I could tell them what I was and it didn't matter. People who've known you for a while, it might take them a minute to shift. Once you start owning identities in a certain way or in a more public way or owning them out loud, that's okay. Give them their time. It's totally fine. And then new people or people that don't have that same context of having known you forever, they're just gonna automatically accept the thing that you tell them. (laughs) They're gonna be like, cool, you're a writer. That's awesome. Great, you're an athlete. Awesome. Like what's your favorite thing to do? Oh, you like to go hiking? Cool. Cool way to be an athlete. (laughs) So you get to decide and it matters what you call yourself. It matters what you call yourself. So if you have a side hustle and you treat it like it's nothing, everyone else will treat it like it's nothing. If you have a side hustle and you treat it like it's a business and you're a business owner, that side hustle has a really great chance of sometime in the future becoming a full-time gig or becoming a really successful side hustle if you only ever want it to be a side hustle. But it has the potential to grow because you're honoring it as a business. So when we shrink in these identities, so you, using that example of side hustle, if you shrink in that identity, that side hustle is probably going to be more of a hobby, which is fine, but it's probably not going to make you a lot of money. It's probably not going to be something that has like an explosion of success, which can be completely fine. And we can have hobbies that are super rewarding and super life-giving and affirming and give you know create a ton of fun. But If you decide that you want that side hustle to make you some money and you want to go somewhere with it, identifying as a business owner is going to shift the direction of that side hustle and it's going to shift the energy and it's going to shift how you make decisions as a business owner versus someone with a hobby. And that matters. That makes a big difference and it makes the identity that you're carrying a much bigger deal. So think about the titles that you are using. When I talk about anxiety, I try really hard not to say that I struggle with anxiety. I try to say that I manage anxiety. I've been managing anxiety since I was eight, not that I've been struggling with anxiety since I was eight, because those words matter, right? So when I say to someone, I've been managing anxiety since I was eight, then people say to me, well, can you come on my podcast and talk about that? Because it sounds like you have some tips around that if you've been managing it. And yes, I do have some tips about it. Like something that I've been doing for 37 years, I have some tips around that. So rather than saying I've been struggling with anxiety for 37 years, which doesn't make me sound powerful or capable to myself or to other people, I'm saying I've been managing anxiety for for 37 years, and now I sound like a massive expert of anxiety, right? (laughs) I've been doing it for 37 years, I'm a total expert. Of course, only of my own anxiety, not of anyone else's, but I can speak to what has worked for me and what has made the biggest difference, okay? So these titles really, really matter. I have to catch myself with skiing because you know I love being very self-deprecating about my skiing. I think it's funny. A lot of it's very true. Like I am very nervous. I get anxious. I am totally the person in my class who is always freaking out. But also I don't want that to be the whole story around me as a skier. So I do have to be careful around Calling myself a skier. Like, literally, I'm three years into skiing now, and I'm like still calling myself a beginner skier. And the truth is, like, I can go down blue runs. I don't love it, but I can go down them and I can get down safely. I'm not a beginner skier. I'm an intermediate skier. But I get really stuck in how scared I feel, and then I label myself a beginner skier. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself
1: too seriously and 6'1, since that matters. And What do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack.
0: I want you to think about the impact of your titles and the way that you label yourself and your abilities and your capabilities, because that makes a really big difference in terms of how you show up to live out those identities and to live out those roles and the outcomes that you get as a result. It all matters in a big way. Number three, the third way to lean into your layered identities is to find people who share your identities and be in community with them. Oh, my goodness. This is so significant. So here's the thing. We often are in circles of people in our lives that we've just been in for a long time through various means, right? So it's your friends from high school who you probably have more things different from them than in common at a certain point because your life experiences in many cases have been vastly different, especially if you've like moved out and spread all over the place. That doesn't mean those aren't valuable relationships. It just means that you're all in really different places. But sometimes we cling to those relationships And we don't create other relationships with people with similar identities because we're clinging to these relationships from the past and we're not making space for new ones where we could actually be in a space with people who we have shared identities with. So this happens with families too. We get really tied up in family relationships that we've been in forever, like since we were born, and we don't make space for other communities and other circles because if we're really close to our family or our family lives really nearby and we're just out in the habit of prioritizing that circle, which there can be great gifts of that for sure. I'm not at all saying like abandon your family or your in-laws or whatever. I'm just saying that are you seeking out people who share your identities? So I know that I have circles of friends who have things in common with me that light me up in certain ways, and that's really, really meaningful. So I have my circle of podcast friends, and I have my circle of entrepreneur friends, and I have my circle of writer friends now. Like I have writer friends, you guys, kind of fun. These are all new friends. (laughs) So these are new friends that I met in my writing class. I have skier friends from my ski class, but I have all these different places where I have these little circles with whom I have shared identities, and we can relate in different ways. So I've talked about this in the context of having a newborn in the past. When I had a newborn and all my friends had three-year-olds, I loved my friends who had three-year-olds. I loved the three-year-olds. They were all adorable. Those friends who had three-year-olds were in this place of mourning the loss of that infancy. And they were like, oh, your baby's so cute and snuggly, and it goes so fast, and just enjoy the snuggles. And that didn't help me when I had a baby that cried all day long and couldn't nurse well, and I wasn't making enough milk to support that baby's hunger and growth. What I really needed at that time was a circle of moms who also had brand new babies who weren't sleeping, who weren't nursing well, and were really struggling in motherhood. And I found that group. Luckily, I signed up for this group, this motherhood group or parent group with moms who had babies the same age. And it shifted everything for me because I was in this place with women who were in the exact same place as me with this shared identity of being new first time moms, brand new first time moms. Our babies were about two to three months old when we met. And I was able to relate to them in a very different way than with my friends with three-year-olds. So now that Vinny's eight, and my friends who had three-year-olds have like 11 and 12-year-olds, it's great. We can relate on different levels, but in that moment, of acuity and I'll say crisis when I had this newborn and I didn't know what to do with it or how to keep it alive, like quite literally, to have someone who is in that exact same place with that shared identity, that layered shared identity, to be a mom for the first time, to be new to nursing, to not be sleeping at all, to have all those things at the same time, that was deeply, deeply impactful. So where do you need to find circles of people who share your identity? Maybe it's finding uh, groups of moms with of kids with learning disabilities. Maybe it is finding groups of women who share your race or ethnicity background. Maybe it is finding groups of women who share a hobby or interest of yours. I know so many women, myself included, who join running groups. I ran for years and years and years by myself because I didn't know other people who were runners. And so I would just run alone. And it was fine, but it was really boring. And I would often have to like give myself these major pep talks to get out the door And I'm trying to think, because I started running when I was like 18. I did not join my first running group till I was 38. (laughs) So I was when Vinny was almost one. So no, I would have been 37. So for almost 20 years, I ran by myself. Now here and there I would run with friends in college. I would had a roommate or two that I would run with here and there. But for the most part I ran by myself. And then I joined a running group when I was I actually had a group of coworkers I ran with in my early twenties. So that was awesome. And then after Vinny was born at age 37, I joined this running group of people I didn't know. And it was so fun. It was so much fun. Oh my gosh, to just go run. And what was amazing to me is that when I used to do long runs by myself, it was always this countdown of like, okay, you're going to go for an hour and a half or nine miles or whatever the thing is. And you were just like counting. I was always just counting down like, okay, only this much left only this much left. When I was running with these new people, I was just getting to know them like we were just chatting and the time would just go by in this like, completely different way. It felt like the time was broken up into these really manageable chunks. We would have these like markers where we would like go to this spot, get a stop, have a water stop, go to this spot, have a water. Like it was just I couldn't even compare it to the torture of running alone that I had endured for years and years and years. It wasn't always torture, but many times it was hard and mentally exhausting and physically exhausting. And it was so much less mentally exhausting, which made it less feel less physically exhausting when I found this runner's group. Shout out to Beth Baker. I joined her running evolution running group when Vinny was one. To train for a half marathon. And it was really, really cool. So where can you go find people who share your identities and be in community with them? And that might be uncomfortable and that's okay. It might be vulnerable for you to show up that first time and be like, hey, like I've never done this before, or I'm new to this, or I'm I don't know any of you and I'm a little bit nervous. Totally, totally fine. One of my favorite things in momentum mamas, I feel like this is such an equalizer. When we get a new group of momentum mamas, and this just happened recently, we had a big group of people come in, and when they came in, we had our kickoff call. And a bunch of people on the call were like, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know where I fit in. I just know that I feel really lonely in motherhood. And I just don't want to feel that way anymore. And I want to find better ways to connect and new opportunities to connect. And I want to feel better about myself and who I am as a mom and where all my different identities are mom. And they literally like they all said this in different ways, but very much the same thing. And it was so fantastic to see this level of vulnerability. And it really leveled the playing field for everyone else. So it takes one person to go first. And as soon as one person said, I'm nervous to be here, but I know this is what I need to do for myself. All of a sudden, everyone else, I mean, by the end of the call, people were crying. Like, I know this is what I need. And I'm also nervous. And it was really, really beautiful and powerful. So shout out to those of you who were on that call. It was a really, really great moment of connection, and a really touching moment for everyone to be real with one another and real with me, which creates power and strength in community. For people to come in and say, hey, I feel nervous, and to be seen in that way, and then to have other people be welcoming to them, right? And here's the thing. If you do that and people aren't welcoming, you may as well know now that you're in the wrong place. (laughs) And so- it's okay for you to be like, wow, that didn't go very well. Maybe this isn't the right fit. Like way better to find that out upon first meeting or first day than to exist in the space for six months and invest in time and relationships and energy and then find out like this is just not working. So while it can be scary to go in vulnerable, it also gives you the validation that you need or it doesn't and both are very important and very valuable right from the get go. All right, so those are the three ways to lean into your layered identities. Again, number one is take responsibility for the stories you hold around your identities. Number two, call yourself your titles out loud in front of other people. Call yourself the titles that go with your identities. Number three is find people who share your identities and be in community with them, okay? If this episode was helpful and you think it might help someone else, please share it and tag me. I love seeing your shares. I love seeing the tags. I always reshare on my Instagram stories. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And I can't wait to be back in a couple days with an interview for you.